0: It's stuff that parents, grandparents, schools, churches gave us to keep us small, to keep us controllable, to keep us living the party line. Once we recognize that and we can break free of that, you know, the sky's the limit. Then our missions can take off and we can really live a fulfilled life. You know, the the goal of men's work, in my opinion, is to help men uh, live the fully expressed life. Be the man you were meant to be in this planet. it brings appears to me right now. thinking about that. Be the men you were meant to be on this planet. You weren't meant to be small. You weren't meant to be weak. You weren't meant to be um, needy and sad. You were meant to be powerful and joyful and generative and uh, creative. And, uh, you know, it's a joy to be able to work with men and, and see that being realized in their lives, of course, and in mine.
1: Welcome back to the Dare to Dream podcast. This is episode number 61, and my name is Gregory Russell-Benedict. I am Vincent Van Patten. And this is a podcast about what might be and who you could become when you have the courage to follow your dreams. Today, we're joined by a special guest. And again, I'm going to let him introduce himself instead of me trying to do it justice. So welcome to the show, Rick. Thank you so much, Gregory, Vinnie. It's just a delight to be here with you two young
0: men, (laughs) young compared to me, I should say. Um, Yeah, my name is Rick Bronick. I was uh, born in Chicago, Illinois, but lived most of my life in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I'm a Midwesterner through and through. Vinnie noticed that right away. (laughs) And uh, moved out here into San Diego about uh, seven years ago, and I just absolutely love it. I was a public school teacher. I taught chemistry at the high school level for 35 years in Racine, Wisconsin. Loved it. Um, you know, had a, a really great career. Um, loved working with young people and uh, got to the point where it was time for me to move on. So I retired pretty early um, and started a second career. And uh, that career as I'm a writer have uh, three books to my um, that have been published and a fourth coming out this year. Um, And I I do speaking engagements, but mostly what I love doing is leading men's trainings. So I lead men's trainings for the Mankind Project and for uh, two companies that I'm a member of, um, partner in. Uh, And I've had the privilege of leading hundreds of men's trainings in 11 countries and five continents around the world. So it's a real gift to be able to work with men, and it's a real gift to talk to you two guys today.
1: Awesome. And I think that's what, that explains a lot about you. When Mm. I met you for the first time, you have this presence about you. Mm. And this, I feel like when you look at me, you're you're looking into my soul (laughs) and you're really understanding me as a person, as a man. Mm. And it makes sense that you've done so much work, Mm. both on your own, but also with other men.
0: Yeah. Thanks, Gregory. Thanks for noticing that. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's, it's taken a long time. I mean, it's, you know, um, I am committed to personal growth. I'll be doing it till the day I die. <laughs> and it's helped me become the man I am. You know, I didn't mention that I was married. I have uh, three beautiful daughters, two bio daughters and a stepdaughter, four granddaughters. We don't do boys in my family, so maybe that's why I'm so attracted to men's work. Yeah. And it's um, it's been an interesting life. Yeah. So glad to talk to you about it. We are excited to have you here. and. We've been talking, like last week,
2: um, we had Brandon Clift on the show. Brandon's awesome. And just, it seems like it's such a cool thing to, to be working as, you know, facilitating these men's groups. It's got to be like a, uh, they go hand in hand. You're teaching and you're facilitating these, but you're learning
0: about yourself along that journey. And that's has got to be so rewarding. It is rewarding. I, I, and I can't be an authentic leader and teacher if I'm not learning from these men. I mean, everywhere I go, I'm constantly learning. Um, learning today from YouTube. So that's a big part of the work. Yeah. Mm
1: -hmm. Awesome. So I think a good jumping off point for this conversation would be, you know, here at the Dare to Dream podcast, we're all about drilling down into that first time you realize that Mm. there was more, that something needed to change. And I'd love to start by reading a passage from your book. So I have one of Rick's book. Is this your first book? That was my first book. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Great book. Oh, thanks. A Passionate Life, Seven Steps for Reclaiming Your Passion, Purpose, and Joy. And I want to just read this passage that really stuck out to me. I felt like it was obviously a big moment in your life. Yeah. right. And we can use this as a jumping off point to connect. Sure thing. All of the different dots we're going to talk about. By all outward appearances, I was wildly successful and was living a good, productive life as a husband, father, teacher, and minister. On the inside, however, a very different story was unfolding. I felt unfulfilled, frustrated, and hollow. I did not know how to express my feelings in productive ways, and I felt like I was not really alive. My marriage was in deep trouble. Our love life was in shambles. I felt like a fake, an imposter, who did not deserve all of the good stuff I was experiencing. I smiled all the time and appeared well-adjusted and happy, while inside I was filled with angst, deep grief, rage, resentment, self-doubt, and fear. Even my spiritual work, years of daily meditation and leading several services at my church each week had little meaning to me. I was a workaholic and I was miserable. I lived behind a carefully crafted mask of perfection and invincibility. I taught, parented, and ministered out of a sense of duty rather than a sense, sorry, rather than from a deep well of energy and calling. I had no sense of my purpose. I had virtually no passion for life.
0: Well, thanks for bringing back those sad memories. <laughs> 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 no, that's, thank you, Gregory. That's, uh, yeah, brings back lots of memories. It does. That was a profound moment in my life, really. Uh, that wake-up call that so many men are waiting for. Um, I didn't get it till I was 38 years old. I'm hoping that other men get it when they're much younger. Um, the wake-up call that helped me begin to realize that I was living behind that mask, that I was uh, not authentic at all. Um, and then began the painful work, the... Work I've been involved with since and 40 years since then of peeling that mask off, of allowing my true, heartful, soulful inner self to be expressed uh, in front of other men, in front of other women, in public, in writing, in speaking. Um, it's been a true transformation and it didn't happen by myself. I have a huge teachers, many, many, many teachers, mentors, examples. Um, and, you know, I'm trying to do that for other men myself, be a mentor, be an example. Yeah. Well, if I may ask, what sure. was the wake-up call? The wake-up call actually was, uh, I had a therapist who was a woman, my wife and I, my then wife and I were in therapy. And my wife was a sex abuse survivor. So that sort of became a theme for a lot of our healing work. And we'd go to see a therapist and they'd, you know, take our case and they'd go, yeah, Rick, you're doing fine. You, you know, I was functioning really well in the world. And we're going to work with your wife for a while because she's the one that's expressing a lot of the angst. Well, this therapist went, you know, that's bullshit. What's your part in this, buddy? You know, and it was like, bam. <laughs> so I went, uh, uh, uh. uh Oh my God! I got a part in this, you know, and of course that started the the deep inquiry inside myself, the spiritual, uh, uh, emotional, psychological changes and transformations that happened, and it made me so much better partner. Now that marriage didn't survive, but it didn't matter because I was I woke up, she was waking up. We were much better parents to our kids. I was a much better leader, teacher, and frankly minister at that for a long time too Mm. so that I I marked that as a very important I'm forever grateful to that therapist her name is Lori Ingram a remarkable woman uh wasn't afraid to smack me upside the head (laughs) and it really did wake me up
1: yeah sometimes we just need a good smack I think there's I always paraphrase the saying but it's something like you either get the feather the brick or the (laughs) semi-truck Uh, the signs from the universe just telling you, okay, now it's time to go in a different direction. Totally, totally, Gregory. And it, for me, it took a semi-truck because I wasn't listening to The Feather
0: and even the two-by-four.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and that's that's what I want to ask about next is, you, you talk about in your book that, I think it was from age seven or mm-hmm. 11, you practiced Kriya Yoga every day, and that became your religion. You went mm-hmm. to church, you were a minister. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about Kriya Yoga and how that has shaped you? Sure. Um, When I was seven, my parents left the
0: Catholic Church. Um, Some dispute there. And uh, we joined Self-Realization Fellowship, which in Milwaukee, Wisconsin was beyond bizarre. I mean, nobody could relate to, wait a minute, Uh, you're meditating? What is that? You're you're vegetarian now? You don't eat meat? What the hell? You're going to my doctor literally told me I'd be dead in six months. Really, <laughs> seriously. This is 1959, just telling you how old I am. Martini and, <laughs> and um, steak diet was all the rage. <laughs> of course, you know, it was. It was and um, another thing, interesting thing happened is most of my friends at the time dropped me like a hot potato because their parents said, well, Rick's going to hell and you're not going with him. You can't hang with him anymore. So it was very isolating in some ways as well. It was opening me up spiritually learning about uh the chakras learning about energies learning how to meditate reading the autobiography of a yogi and many other you know eastern philosophy books was like mind-blowing you know i was i was young my parents were you know taking the lead on this but as i got into my let's say preteen, early teen years i began to really embrace it myself and i loved the church that i went to we had a uh some people call it an ashram or a a retreat in central Wisconsin that we went to and spent a lot of time doing physical work, meditating, and so forth. Um, All my friends and family were part of the church. So it was a a social thing as well as a spiritual thing. Um, And as you said, I became a minister in the church and ministered there for about 20 years. And the real gift of, Self-realization for me was being able to sit at the feet of a man that I consider to be a master soul for just about 20 years. Learned a lot from him. Uh, was blessed by him over and over again. And uh, it, it set my life on a, on a different course than most uh, baby boomers <laughs> did back in the 1950s. Um, I still practice Kriya Yoga. It's an uh, important part of my spiritual practice, my daily practice. Um, but I'm not I don't go to any church anymore. Mm-hmm. Even though I live out here just a couple of miles away from one of the you know prime mother centers for self-realization in Encinitas, just a couple of miles up the road here from where we are right now. Um, it's an important part of my practice and it opened me up to a whole nother world of spirituality, a way of looking at how life works or doesn't work. And it, and it kind of fit really nicely with the psychological stuff I was going through. It kind of helped me make sense, um, put into perspective my spirituality, my psychology, my my identity as a man. It all came together just about the time from that passage you read. Soon after I did the work with Laurie, um, I became aware of the Mankind Project. There were some men that I knew that had gone and done it, and they were very different when they came back. And I said, what's going on here? And they said, "Uh, I really can't tell you, Rick, go do the training. In those days, there was no internet, so there was no way to check it out. I just took it on faith. I went in March of 1990, and again, it was another life-changing transformative experience. Um, Very, very, very powerful for me. Um, And right out of that weekend came a men's group of uh, of men who did that training together. And I was in that group for 25 years in Milwaukee. I became very, very close to those men. And uh, there's still many of them are very close friends, even though I've moved away from Milwaukee. And as soon as I got here, the first thing I did is found a men's group to be in. And I've still been in that one now for seven years. So 32 years nonstop doing my work in a men's group that meets every week. And it's uh, it's really joyful. The group I'm in now has also uh, invited uh, women and people of other gender identities to join. And so it's just a really juicy, alive, wonderful group that meets every Tuesday night right here in North County, San Diego. Yeah. That is awesome. <laughs> um,
2: I mean, we, we both read Autobiography of a Yogi and if you could, I know you know it's like uh, asking to explain the universe, but Kriya Yoga—it's not exactly like a physical. It's not meant to be like a workout, right? If I'm
0: no, if I'm not mistaken. No, this is uh, so the yoga meditation spirituality and Yogananda was a, a big lover. I mean, he had a huge lover energy. If you listen to his music, you listen to his talks. Um, he was about opening up the heart, and so that really helped me a lot. Uh, the Kriya itself is a breath, breath practice that's taught. It's part of an initiatory process um, that I was, initiate, I was initiated when I was 16 years old, so pretty young, and I continue to practice that to this day, as I said. Um, it's really um, blessed my life in so many ways. I mean, you start every morning with a meditation, 20 minutes to 30 minutes at least, sometimes longer, and do my breath practice Um my partner is also a meditator, so we meditate together, which is just awesome to be able to connect like that. And we always look at each other afterwards and you let go. That was so sweet, you know, just having that silence. Not a word is spoken. Um, it's a great way to start the day. I encourage everybody that I work with, every man particularly, to have a spiritual practice because um, it's a grounding place. When life gets turbulent and it still does for me and I'm not sure what the answers are. I always take it to meditation, you know, and sit quiet and and listen. I try to listen to the voices that uh, are trying to guide me. <laughs> so yeah, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, definitely. Didn't, yeah.
2: Um. So when you are in that meditative state, are you? What are you? What are you doing exactly? Is it? Are you? Are you trying to? <laughs> we need a roadmap. <laughs> yeah. Right. 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 Right.
0: What's going on? <laughs> well, it's a. It's a process of quieting the mind. I mean, this thing can run wild. You, you both know that yourselves. And um, I have tons of stories that I was taught from be- probably before birth. Most of them are complete bullshit. They're not true, but they're still running in my head about who I am, what my role is, what am I supposed to be doing in this world? What does it mean to be a man, a father, whatever? A sexual being, a sensual being, a... Uh, spiritual being. Uh, and when I quiet my mind, try to quiet those voices, then suddenly something different comes through. You know, a much more authentic, real, grounded, I call it the sacred part of me can come out. And, you know, that's so important to me that I'm never going to give that up. Um, and it informs everything else in my life. It informs my men's work. It informs my multicultural work. It informs, um, you know, how I interact with my partner and my kids, my grandkids. Um, so that's what meditation is about. I mean, I I can't go nuts and bolts of it. That's a whole separate, you know, podcast. I use the breath to calm myself. Um, and, a big part of my meditation practice is to t- is to touch into, remind myself of the enormous gratitude I have that I have this life, that I have my health. I'm seventy years old. I'm still active. I can swim and hike and you know travel the world. I have enormously beautiful men and women in my life that are just like love me for who I am totally, uh, and I love them of course. I have fabulous grandkids um i have enough uh uh, resources in the bank to be able to live well live simply i live simply but i live well i just i have so much gratitude you know and be able to you know hang out with guys like you have these conversations you know life is amazing it really is as you as you know i just got back from two weeks in hawaii so you know celebrating my birthday swam with manta rays that literally came up and touched my body and and swam with you know green sea turtles. it's and you know, I was like how did this happen? <laughs> how did this this you know guy from Chicago Illinois uh, end up here doing this stuff and uh, working with men all over the world and just having this incredible uh, I, I call it a big life. A bunch of us in my first men's group, we agreed we were going to live a big life, mm. whatever that whatever that means. Going to keep saying yes to stuff. Keep saying yes to doing a podcast here for Dare to Dream. Keep saying yes to connecting with uh, men and women, uh, uh, speaking, writing, and so forth.
1: Big yes. I try
0: to live as a big yes. Yeah,
1: we are all about living a big life. <laughs> I know you are at the Dare to Dream podcast. <laughs> and speaking of gratitude, I've yeah. been waiting to tell you this: that tea that I had at your house has changed my life. You know what I'm talking about. It. I'm full on addicted. Everyone who comes over, I'm offering it to them. is like, it amazing? like, what's wrong with you, man? Orange, <laughs> so spice. orange spice. Orange yeah. spice. So good. Yeah. So last question on the Kriya Yoga, then we'll jump to something sure. else. I'm asking this for myself, but also for our listeners. What would be the best way to like dip a toe and explore that? How would you get started on that journey? Well, here in Southern California, there's temples all over the place. I mean, you
0: can, you know, check it out, go to go to a meditation, See how the energy fits for you. Check out the people, uh, some pretty cool people. Hang out with those groups and, um, and, and then try it on yourself. There's lessons you can get, uh, self-realization lessons that Yogananda wrote back in the 30s, 40s, 50s that still are relevant today. You can get those uh, mailed to you or online. Um, I know you both have read the Autobiography of Yogi. That's a great place to start. You get the biography of this amazing man. He was one of the first mystics to come to the United States. And he was, you know, uh, he talked to presidents and business leaders and really had an impact in the world. So, yeah, I mean, there's lots of ways to check it out. And that's one of them.
1: Fantastic. I love the specifics there. Yeah, good. And I think where I want to take this next is just shifting into talking about initiation rituals Mm -hmm. and how important those are.
0: Well, great, Gregory. Thanks for asking that. Um, What I'm aware of is that men are hungry to be initiated nobody tells us in a coherent sacred way that we're that we're men and what our role is in this world it used to happen and still happens in indigenous cultures there's very specific um, rituals that almost every indigenous culture did somewhere around the age of 12 or 13 where they pulled the men out away from the mothers away from that you know soft, loving embrace and taught them about the hardness of life and also helped these young men figure out that there's a mission beyond themselves. They have a mission to serve not just themselves, but their families, the tribe, whatever, the community. Um, Sometimes those initiation ceremonies were very harsh. Um, Sometimes young boys didn't come back from them. But the ones that did were transformed. And when they came back to the village, they were met completely differently. Everybody treated them differently. They had a, a place. They knew, their, they knew their place in the community. They knew their job, what their mission was. All that happened in that initiatory process. And a lot of that was lost in, in Western civilization. Um, so there's been a strong move since about the 1980s to reestablish initiation for men. Now, I didn't get it when I was 12 or 13. I don't imagine you two did either. I didn't get it until I was 38. Nevertheless, it was profound for me, and it gave a new direction to my life, Um, the initiatory process, and I've been through several of them. Kriya Yoga Initiation was one of them. I've been initiated there. I was initiated as a Boy Scout, you know, profound initiations. Um, And I was initiated into men's work in uh, March of 1990 when I went through the Mankind Project training. Um, Initiation has certain qualities to it, I believe, that are important. It's got to happen in in the company of other men, especially older men, the uncles, the grandfathers, the elders. All of our trainees recognize that, and we have a cadre of elders uh, that are present to help with that. Especially younger men are so hungry for it. To, to see role models and men who who look at them like you mentioned I look at you you know really see you really see you both see your beauty, see your struggles, see where you could go with your life you know they're not going to tell you where to go, but they're going to say you can get there and support you to do that. The ongoing men's group often do that too. We call them integration groups and you know. If you're lucky and you have a, a large range of ages from younger to older, and you can do that for each other in profound ways. And it's it's really, really beautiful. So initiation simply means beginning, right? It's not the end, it's the beginning. So once you're initiated, then what's the work? You know, continuing to peel off those layers, continuing to find what's really authentic for me. You know what is my role how do i interact with men women children the world business whatever Um, it's an ongoing and continuous process i believe it never ends i mean it ends when i die and those men that seem most alive that are functioning in this world are men i believe who continue to to do that work yeah that's amazing and it definitely brings up
2: just what we're both, I mean, it's kind of the, one of the credo, I would say, for for this podcast and what we're trying to do with mm-hmm. our lives is this notion of kind of being sedated by comfort and just like you're saying how young men really do crave something and perhaps just, we don't know how to put it into words, that thing that we're craving. And I don't know if you know, you might know, Jordan Peterson is one of the world's most renowned mm-hmm. psychologists and psychologists. Um, on a conversation he recently had with one of our favorite podcasts Modern Modern Wisdom podcast uh-huh. Chris Williamson and they're talking about the antidote to discomfort isn't comfort per se the way that you would swaddle a child it's the adventure to excellence and young men don't know what that means that you have to face discomfort voluntarily go out into the world and it is quite moving what he says how the, the female um, uh, crucifixion, is the mother sending her child out into the world, and the kid says, "But isn't it scary out there?" She says, "Yeah, but if you stay here, it's, er, isn't it dangerous out there?" "Yes, but it's a lot more dangerous if you stay here with me." Right, and that, oh man, mm-hmm. that's powerful. So, yeah, where, I mean. 'Cause I, I had like an initiation in high school, going from middle school to high school. Sure. But and we had like college initiation with fraternities. Mm-hmm. But there's there's something, you know, spiritual missing in those things perhaps right. where it's it's just drinking and kind of partying right, and right, right. getting beat up as opposed to you are truly doing this thing to to become a real man and whatever that means. But Yeah.
0: Well with all due respect, I, I, I call those types of initiations and I'm using air quotes here as false initiations because mm-hmm. they, they don't really, there was no elder that came and, and gave you your, your purpose for being here or said, you have a place in this world. Okay. It's important. What you're doing is important. College fraternity initiations. Don't do that. Drinking initiations, you know, getting your driver's license. I mean, those are all sort of mini initiations, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a profound spiritual transformation. Um, that really changes you as a human being, changes you as a young man. The discomfort is an important part of that. The passage you read, I mean I was at maximum discomfort there. It was the first time in my life I had to look at in the mirror and go, okay, Rick, you're not you're not so great <laughs> you know all this false uh, stuff that you're putting forward isn't real. Well shit then what is real? you know what is real for me? It was really uncomfortable and also, disconnecting from the, the story that it was all my all our marital problems with my wife's fault it was nonsense you know I had 50 percent of the responsibility for that really uncomfortable and it is that point of the comfort and we're not talking about physical discomfort necessarily although that can be part of initiation we're talking about the psychological and spiritual discomfort of not knowing who I am where I'm going what's next for me Oof, you know and that's the nexus they've acted moment where the transformation happens where the growing happens Uh, wow you know seek out those opportunities seek out those experiences i i know you both are
2: (laughs) greg gets in more strange situations per week than anybody i know
0: i mean (laughs) the guy has a gift (laughs) yep i can tell when i first met him i knew i knew that he was a seeker um Um, because otherwise life is what the heck is the point of it you know it's it doesn't uh, It doesn't satisfy unless yeah. you're reaching for something new.
1: Yeah, and that's actually an insight I had recently. So I'm a big fan of seeking discomfort, as we've talked about before. Mm-hmm. And I think the common explanation for that that a lot of people give is that life is hard. Life is full of suffering. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of these events that will try and break you. And a reason to seek discomfort is that you prepare for it. You you put yourself there before it happens so that when it actually does happen, you've done the dress rehearsal, you know how to handle it. And that that makes sense to me. But part of that hasn't fully resonated because I see so much proof on a daily basis of life being amazing and magical. Yeah. And so what I realized, like a definition that has been resonating with me recently is that I seek discomfort because life is so great that. I need the discomfort to wake me up ah. and to make me appreciate how great I have it. Because otherwise, if you're just comfortable all the time, as Vinny said, you become sedated by comfort. Completely. And it can just, boom, it's, it's, it's you know, there's 20 years where you were just comfortable and you didn't really challenge yourself. Totally, uh,
0: TV, food, drug, you name it. I mean, it, they're all sedating. You're absolutely right. And look around, frankly, most folks are living that sedated life because it's the easy way. You know, it's, it's not easy to get uncomfortable and especially purposely. It's like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah.
2: Not saying I'm like sleeping on the
0: floor every night or anything. I'm no. just as comfortable as anyone else. No, no. Um, you know, it's about seeking out those experiences that knock the upside they had, like we talked about before. Mm-hmm. They'd say, uh, Rick, you think that's your reality? Well, sorry. <laughs> it's not. Mm-hmm. It's really not. And, um, wow, it knocks, it knocks the pins off from under me. But when I stand back up again, I'm stronger, hopefully wiser, have more tools in my toolbox to, to negotiate life. Um, I kind of like the man I've become. In mm-hmm. fact, I've become the, uh, more of a man than I ever expected to be when I was
1: your age. It just blows me away. <laughs> that is so powerful. Yeah, and it's
0: fun as hell. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I think another big takeaway from your book for me and something that fits into this conversation right now is that it's not easy, whether it's voluntary or involuntary suffering. Once that starts, it's not easy to continue with it, especially if what you've been doing previously is deemed successful by other people. And the point in the book where you talk about how you were getting lucrative offers to, Teach chemistry and mm-hmm. teach education. Mm-hmm. And you could have just kept doing that and speaking on that. Right. But you had to make the intentional decision to turn down those opportunities mm-hmm. to create space for what's next. And just talk about, I mean, that can't right. be easy.
0: Right. It wasn't easy. It was scary as hell because I was a single uh, uh, wage earner from my family, my wife and my two kids. And we were homeowners and, you know, all of that. And it wasn't easy. But it was killing me. I mean, it was weird because I do it, I get accolades. I was a really good teacher, award-winning teacher, loved what I was doing. And I do these workshops and get paid well for it. And it wasn't satisfying spiritually. It wasn't satisfying emotionally. So doing the work that I'm doing, I realized what I really want to do is work with men, women on healing and become a coach and coach people to uh, fulfill their life's purpose. Uh, and, and that's not easy because I had to create a whole new skill set, a whole new uh, toolbox, you know, and it, and it was hard. <laughs> and my mission required me to do that. I had a total commitment and focus to live in my mission, uh, and the only way I could do that was to change uh, the way I made my living. That's why I retired early and started the business that I'm in now. My mission, by the way is to create a passionately loving, peaceful, and just planet by reading, teaching, writing, and leading safe, sacred, diverse healing circles. Today, men, that's all I do. My life has sort of come full circle, and I'm able to say yes, big yes, to opportunities to do those things and a big no to any anything else that no matter how much money they offer me. <laughs> so um, I am very, very grateful that I get these opportunities to lead trainings with men around the world, to lead trainings with men and women around multicultural awareness, to um, to do awakening
1: work. I'll put it that way. A question that I want to drill into a little more is what is men's work exactly? <laughs> That's a great question. That's a good question. <laughs> I, I can't
0: answer that exactly because there's so many different versions of it. I, I would say in general, my perspective on men's work is is creating containers, opportunities where men can get together and begin to be real with each other. You know, it doesn't happen in business meetings. It doesn't happen in... Um, you know, other places. And it takes a very special container to do that. There's got to be an enormous amount of safety, trust, um, uh, willingness for men that are in leadership positions to be very vulnerable themselves, to be uh, as authentic as they can be. Oftentimes in men's work, there, uh, there's more staff men than there are participants. I mean, that's really remarkable. In the Mankind Project, for example, there are um, one and a half to two times as many staff men as there are participants. And most of those men are volunteers. In fact, they pay their own room and board for the chance to go and serve other men. Why do they do that? Because their experience was so powerful for them that they want to give something back. And there's a great joy about uh, being with men when they begin to wake up, when they begin to... Realize that their lives uh, can be different. That the stories that they carry about themselves, these limiting beliefs that we all carry about ourselves, that we can't do that, or who do you think you are, or why why would you even try that? Uh, it's all BS. That we don't have to limit ourselves. We can use the tools and techniques that I've been taught, many of us have been taught to. Sort of blow away that bullshit story that we have to be small or weak or uh, or falsely bravado, whatever it is, the stories that we carry. Um, confronting shadow, you know, the parts of ourselves we hide, repress, and deny, is a big part of that, and we do a pretty damn good job on our men's trainings and our initiation trainings. So that's a big part of what i think men's work is it's creating the possibility for men to be real with each other it's profound in a weekend when we have 70 80 men there you know and they have permission to go anywhere and do anything emotionally spiritually with each other and they know they're going to get held they know there's enough staff there to hold whatever comes out and we've seen it all you know i mean i I've seen so many transformative pieces of work that men have done that they needed to do to break free of, you know, the the stories that they carry that keep them small, keep them limited, um, and keep them safe, frankly, yeah. What does it mean to you to to be a man? <laughs> wow, I'm still learning that, Vinny, <laughs> I'll tell you. Um my best definition right now is what I've been talking about all along here, is just being willing to take the risk to be authentic. And when I first started doing that, it was like there were certain safe places, like my men's group, where I could do that. What I want to do is expand my palette. So anywhere I go in the world, no matter what I do, no matter who I speak to, I try to be really authentic, real.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And like you said, see people. Mm-hmm. Um, and people notice that. When you have eye contact, when you really listen, when you ask questions, when you're curious, and when you're willing to um, show your own inner vulnerability—you know, my soft spots, my heart, the things that, the pain that I carry, the traumas that I've experienced—it's uh, inviting to other men, and it's it's healing. It gives them the chance to say, "I can do that too. I have trauma too." I mean, we all do, we all do. Um, And just being able to hold a man either physically or metaphorically while he goes through that transformation is a huge gift. It's just an enormous gift. (laughs) And I've had the privilege of doing that literally thousands of times, you know, a couple hundred weekends, you know, 25, 30 men
1: going through every time. It's uh, a wonderful gift, a wonderful gift this might be a hard question to answer, but what would you say is one of the most common or frequent transformations that you see the men go through in these big weekends? Wow, that's a great question. Um, I
0: would say the number one wound that men bring to weekends, men carry in the world, is what is commonly called the father wound. Robert Bly, who unfortunately recently passed, talked a lot about the father wound. Most of us never had the opportunity to hear our fathers say, I love you. I'm proud of you. Um, You're a good man. Most of us are aching to hear that. Sometimes we hear from our mothers, if we're lucky. Most of us ache to hear that from our fathers. And unfortunately, most of us do not get it. Um, So that's a gaping wound that a lot of men have. And one of the powerful aspects of a men's weekend is that there are other men there who can be your surrogate fathers or your uncles or your grandfathers who can say that to you and really mean it. You know, I love you. You're important. You do good work in the world. Um, You know, you're imperfect, but so what? Who's not? (laughs) You have your faults. You've made your mistakes. You know, learn from them, move forward. That is profound. Um, Another huge issue that men face is this, this pervasive sense that they aren't good enough. They can't do it right. They can't father right. They can't partner right. They can't be a friend. Uh, It's profound and pervasive and debilitating for most men. It keeps us from stepping forward in our lives. It keeps us from taking risks, from doing outrageous things (laughs) for so many of us. And when we can get that uh, uh, help, to crack open that message and just realize it's, it's just bullshit. It's stuff that parents, grandparents, schools, churches gave us to keep us small, to keep us controllable, to keep us uh, uh, live in the party line. Once we recognize that, and we can break free of that, you know the sky's the limit. then our missions can take off and we can really uh, live a fulfilled life. You know, the, the goal of men's work, in my opinion, is to help men uh, live the fully expressed life. Be the man you were meant to be in this planet. It brings tears to me right now thinking about that. Be the man you were meant to be in this planet. You weren't meant to be small. You weren't meant to be weak. You weren't meant to be um, needy and sad. You were meant to be powerful and joyful and generative and uh, creative. And, uh, you know, it's a joy to be able to work with men and and see that being realized in their lives of course and in mine
2: that's so cool and it's you know it's one thing to to have that that safe space to to go and to do that work but i mean you embody it you're out in the world and actually just i've just met you and i feel i feel like i'm in the men's group and i feel like we know each other yeah, and it's there's honestly, a place for you Vinny. Believe hey, me hey i'll be there i'll be there <laughs> but it's hard to go out and I'm sure for like the people that go to the men's group, and you know they maybe they have a transformative weekend, but then they go back into the the raw world, and it's how to break back out of that shell again. Because I'm sure it kind yeah. of clamps back down. And I guess I mean just vulnerability. How how do you
0: get how do you kind of retain that? Well, that's a great question, and that's where the ongoing men's group come in. I think mm-hmm. you know I go to practice that constantly and help other men practice it and women now because my group is is all gender um, and it takes practice Mm -hmm. you know it's scary as hell to be vulnerable it's scary as hell to show your emotions in front of other men especially because we're taught from the day we're born maybe before we're born you know to be automatons i mean we're allowed a little bit of anger up to a certain level we sure as hell can't be sad we can't be afraid we can't look at all feminine, you know, so, or gay. So all that's pushed out and what's left, you know? (laughs) What's left is what we get for, you know, what we see around the world and for modern men. It takes practice, 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 because we weren't taught it. Our our dads didn't model it. Um, Our grandfathers didn't model it. Our teachers didn't model it. Our churches don't model it. Honestly, they don't, most of them. and I have had the group of men who are willing to model that for me and help me practice it and say, hey, you just did it. How'd that feel? You know. And it's, it's less and less scary for me now because I've been practicing for a long time. Um, and there's still moments where I get terrified. You know. My partner notices something in me. She wants to have a conversation about some, some behavior I'm doing. And I go, oh, but, uh, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to criticize me, all right Well, of course she does, and and we're able to do that most of the time in really graceful, um generative ways. Because she's a, a seeker too; she's done an enormous amount of work, and you know, we have a relationship that is mind-bogglingly beautiful as a result. Yeah. I just love the the term you keep using, just being a seeker.
2: I, uh, something just flashed in my mind of just this. Perennial quest to, uh, i don't know what it is that I consider myself a seeker. This mm-hmm. thing that we're looking for, and it's—it's it's bigger than any career. It's bigger than bigger than any of the stories we tell ourselves. But what is it that we're seeking?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think that's individual, Vinny, and I, you'll know when you find it. Um, you know, I don't know if that I found it yet. <laughs> I keep seeking and. As I discover new things about myself, I go, oh, man, that's really cool. I can use that, or I have that in me. This, this heart, this soul that I have is great. But then there's something else. There's something bigger. And I, or I, I, I meet somebody else, and I go, oh, my God, that man or that woman is so incredible. How do I get there? You know? So for me, it, it keeps changing. So being a perennial seeker is something uh, that I like to um, have as an ethic. Now, that doesn't mean I don't take time when I'm down time when I rest, and, and you know, <laughs> I'm not pushing uh, I, I take vacations, but generally, if I feel my aliveness comes from that constant seeking, looking for uh, more understanding, more awareness, uh, more truth, uh, peeling off another piece of my mask that's still there, you know, damn it, it's still there sometimes. <laughs> And, um, you know, as I said earlier, it's a lifetime job. Uh, so I'm, you know, I know you guys are seekers. I, I, can, I can see it in your eyes. I can see it in your, in your energy. God bless you for that. I wish I'd had that when I was your age, frankly. And
1: uh, I know you're going to take off like rockets. <laughs> we're trying. Yeah, I know <laughs> you are. I know you that's are. That's the I, plan. I, right? Yeah. And what came up for me when you were saying that is, I think it's equally important to be seeking externally as it is to seek internally and look inside yourself and figure out what do I need to remember that I have forgotten? Right, I, I'm not gonna
0: argue that at all. I mean, I think the internal seeking is important to happen first. Otherwise, the external seeking becomes more uh, proof that we're meant to you know get, buy things, make money, um, get married, and that's our life. You know, so what is the external seeking for? You know, what what truly brings uh, sacredness into your life? What I call spiritual wealth into your life. You know, it isn't money. When people pass on, they never are on that close to it. They never say, "I wish I'd made more money in my life." They always say, "I wish I'd had a bigger impact." I wish I'd loved more. I wish I'd cared more. I wish I'd, my kids knew more about me. That kind of stuff. Um, you know, I don't have a lot of money, but I'm a happy man for the most part. You know, really, because I seek for those things. I'm trying to seek for those things that are truly meaningful for me, that are in alignment with my mission, that that you know bless me and bless the people that I hang with. <laughs> and I mess it up all the time, <laughs> all the time
1: that's a big part of the journey is it is falling down stumbling yeah just being human you know allow ourselves to be human yeah wouldn't be quite as fun if everything went perfectly all the time
0: i wouldn't learn a damn thing
1: (laughs) yeah exactly so a question i want to ask you that we we actually haven't asked guests this in a while Mm -hmm. but if you could go back and give your younger self advice what would that be Mm. wow
0: I've actually done this in process work a few times. I'm talking to my seven-year-old self because when I was seven, not only did we join this church, but my parents separated for the first time. And I was, I'm the oldest of six kids. And when my dad left, he put me on his knee and he literally said, I'm leaving the family for now. Uh, you're the man of the family now. Take care of your mom and your siblings. Well, I, I knew he was trying to bless me. And later I talked to him about this many, many years later. But it was a horrible curse in many ways, because suddenly I lost my childhood. I was suddenly a caretaker, trying to know what my you know mother, who was had some mental illness issues and other issues, what she needed, and and what my siblings needed. And it really it messed me up for a long time. It helped started creating a very thick mask of invulnerability, and I had to know everything. And you know it, it was just bullshit. Uh, So what I'd say back to the seven-year-old is, Rick, Ricky, as he was called, you don't have to be in charge. It's not your job. Just be a kid. You know, I lost a lot of my ability to be playful. Um, And my current partner notices that. She tries to help me be more playful. She's an expressive arts therapist. And that's really about doing therapy through play, through, you know, all kinds of Art, artistic endeavors, dance, music, the fine arts, and so forth. Um, and it's damn hard for me to be playful. <laughs> it's weird. I mean, you think we all know how to be playful. But I really had to put that aside at a very young age. So I'd say to my younger self, and I have said, hey, amen, go play, go have fun, relax. You don't have to fix the world at seven years old or eight years old or nine years old. You don't have to take care of your sibs, you know. All that does is separate you from them. Uh, be your loving, ebullient, energetic self. I was a very cool kid. Every picture, of me had this huge smile. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody notices it. Um, and I and I put that away for a long time, way too long. Mm. So that's what I would say.
2: It's yeah. definitely something we both. You know try to remember as much as you possibly can and one more more thing
0: please i love you rick (laughs) Mm. i love you i love you yeah it's important for me to know that because i didn't know i really didn't at that age that i was loved fully loved for who i was not for what i did
1: (laughs) make sense oh man i'm i've tried not to cry over here Mm. that is what you just said, even just the last part is love for who you are and not what you did or what you achieve or what you accomplish. That is a powerful message that we don't often get, especially living in the West, right in our society. Oh, so for people who have been listening, men and women alike, what is the best way for them to start off on this hero's journey of Maybe we'll just talk about men's work first. Where should men look to to get involved, whether it's through your companies that you have or the mm-hmm. Mankind Project? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well,
0: um, there are other men's organizations that do initiation trainings as well. The Mankind Project is probably the biggest game in town. It's an international not-for-profit. I highly recommend it. Um, you know, I don't have any financial stake in the organization itself, but I do get paid to lead trainings, a small stipend, that's not very much. Um, It was transformational for me and has been for about 80,000 men that have done the training around the world. Um, Unfortunately, the last two years, we've been on hiatus for face-to-face trainings, but we have created a very robust online training program. Uh, 24 online trainings right now that MKP has created in the last two years. I mean, talk about creativity. so that's one place to start. Mankind Project, MKP.org, is the website. Look at look it up. There's tons of information there. Start reading some books. There's some fabulous men's books out there. I mean, lots and lots of them. I'm not going to name them right now, uh, but you know, go find some stuff to read about being authentic as a man. Um, and then find a men's group. I mean, there's men's group all over the place. You might be surprised. Uh, that there's some in your city in your church in your there might be a mankind project men's group like right here in san diego there's 13 ongoing men's groups that meet every week they're all over town because we all know the travel issues of trying to get someplace at, at night and uh, uh, they're all vibrant they all meet regularly and many of those men that go to men's groups also staff to trainings it's another place to get some incredible experience go do a men's training We have leadership trainings. Um, So those are the main places to start the men's work. To start the spiritual work, you know, find what's authentic for you. You know, if meditation isn't your thing, prayer isn't your thing, find something else. You know, sometimes just sitting in nature is transformative and profound. Nature's often my church. Um, So that's what I'd say for now. Keep seeking.
2: <laughs> Never stop. Uh, well, guys, I think we're going to wrap it up here, right. but it has been an absolute honor a pleasure and so grateful to meet you and have you on the show. And I just love the trajectory of the way this podcast is going, like just breaking out of what a man is supposed to be and breaking out of those old stories that we tell ourselves and really just opening up our hearts and opening up the wounds and getting real. And the journey's just beginning. So
0: thank you. Thank you for coming on. Hey, you're welcome, Vinny. You're welcome, Gregory. I have a blessing for you two men. You're doing beautiful work in the world. I love your podcast. I love where you're heading as men, young men. And keep doing it. I know you will. And we'll see each other along the path along the way. Hey, Absolutely. All right. Awesome. Thanks for having me on. Thank you.
1: Thanks for being here. And thank you to all our listeners for tuning in with us today. We love you guys.